Number one, this is the more abstract one. Yes. Kubrick is confessing to staging the moon landing with this movie. The theory was Kubrick fabricated the set on a movie soundstage and, you know, no one actually landed on the moon. Evidence. (laughs) (laughs) Point number one, when Kubrick adapted the film from the book, the haunted room was supposed to be room 217. And he changed it to room 237 for no explained reason. Now, do you know what the distance between the Earth to the moon is? Because, sir, Jesus Christ. I feel like a comic book guy. 237,000. And also, Danny is wearing this sweater with a very large Apollo 11 rocket on the front mm-hmm. of it. And there's a ton of eagles throughout the architecture of the Overlook Hotel, alluding to America. Sure. And the film heavily features the colors of the American flag. Okay. So, what do you think of that one? It's good. Yeah. It's good. It's not bad. It's, it's not bad at all. Welcome to Buzz in the Tower, a podcast dedicated to the movies of the 1980s. Prepare to be stuffed in our DeLorean and taken on a trip through the best decade of film ever. Hey, Mo, we better back up. We don't have enough road to get up to 88. Roads? Where we're going, we don't need roads. So if you love Caddyshack, The Goonies, Aliens, Weird Science, Spies Like Us, The Great Outdoors, Empire Strikes Back, The Great Muppet Caper, Pretty in Pink, Predator, Rocky IV, Roadhouse, Say Anything, Real Genius, Short Circuit, Some Kind of Wonderful, Beverly Hills Cop, Akira, Tango and Cash, The Breakfast Club, and They Live, just to name a few, then sit back, relax, and get ready to be entertained. Because we came here to chew bubblegum and podcast about 80s movies, and we're all out of bubblegum. If you haven't already, subscribe to Buzz in the Tower on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And while you're there, leave a review and a five-star rating. It's a moral imperative! You can also find us on TikTok, Instagram, and all social media platforms by searching the tag at Buzz in the Tower. That's B-U-Z-Z-N, The Tower. Also, check out our website, buzzinthetower.com, and grab some officially licensed gear. It's so choice. If you have the means, I highly recommend picking some up. Now, if you want to get nuts, let's get nuts. Head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash buzzinthetower. With memberships as low as $3 a month, you can have access to tons of extra content, and a portion of all proceeds go directly to Save Ferris. Dakoshane, darling, Dakoshane. Buzz in the Towers brought to you by Sonic Loans. You can find them at sonicloans.com. Max, remember Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? That's 70s. I know. It? Do you remember it? The Gene Wilder one. Yeah, of course. The Giant Depp one's weird. You got it. You got it. There is a fan theory that Charlie, after being given the golden ticket and taking over the Wonka empire and realizing that the way to solve the world's problems is to be a good human being and give candy to everyone who needs it, and of course, take care of the Oompa Loompas, left the candy industry to start up Sonic Loans. Did you know this fan theory? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> the mortgage process can be as confusing as what I just said. And that's why Charlie and the team at Sonic Loans are the absolute partner that you want. Reach out to Charlie. Tell him Buzz in the Tower sent you. Ask for the Willy Wonk. Ask for the golden ticket. Do you have a golden ticket? <laughs> oh, his name's Charlie. That's why you connect. Oh, dear God. <laughs> NMLS number 1955855. Not available in all states. Not a commitment to lend. Additional requirements apply. Visit sonicloans.com or call 313 313- 488-4888 for more information. 
Buzz and Sour is also brought to you by Bolton Legal Group. You can find them at boltonlegalgroup.com. Max, another wild fan theory. Remember the movie First Blood? Obviously. Obviously, right? Nothing is over. Beautiful, Max. Good job. <laughs> Do you remember Rambo 2 for First Blood 2? I always screw that up. But remember in the second Rambo movie, how Troutman shows up and is like, hey, we're willing to ignore the entire town that you destroyed if you just go help us get some POWs and take pictures? He's just working at a rock quarry. At the end of First Blood 2, there's no way that Rambo was going to make these decisions on his own without seeking legal counsel. <laughs> so, Rambo went to a lawyer. Yeah, he went to Bolton Legal Group. And Ian and his team made sure that, that John was protected. Wow. Aggressive, efficient, Bolton Legal Group is the group that you need to go to. First Blood Part 6. There you this go. time it's civil. No, but <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> For a consultation, call 248-595-0001. Tell them Buzz in the Tower sent you. And remember, God didn't make Bolton Legal Group. Ian Bolton did. Today's episode, 80s Movie Fan Theories. The briefcase in Pulp Fiction contains Marcellus Wallace's soul. Also, Jules in Pulp Fiction is in fact Nick Fury. Elsa and Anna's parents washed up onto an island, and before they passed away, gave birth to a little boy named Tarzan. Jack from the Titanic is a time traveler. Jar Jar Binks was in fact a Sith Lord. The internet is littered with fan theories about our favorite movies. But when you start digging into the flicks from 80 to 89, you really find some tinfoil hat gems. Today on Buzz in the Tower, Max and I explore the far reaches of the interweb, mostly Reddit, and unearth our favorite 80s movies fan theories. I'm Mo Shapiro, and joining me as always, the nonsensical explanation to my wild theory, Max Sanders. And with that, let's dive in. I still believe... I still believe. Not Capella. I was going uh, X-Files. Oh, dude. Or I believe. Do, Is it I believe? Do, 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 do. Underrated. Do, 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 do. Did you have any 80s stuff? Do, 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 <laughs> do, do, Okay. Oh, I still believe. <laughs> <laughs> we should do a mashup. Yeah. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I'm re- we are seconds into the show. And you're already done with and me. And I'm already done with you. Max. We've been off for like three weeks. Uh, welcome back. Welcome yeah. back me. Welcome back you. Say you, say me. Welcome back, Cotter. Say it together. No? What's that? Most definite. Are you kidding me? I don't know. God bless America. We're going to get mail about Muppets? this. Yeah, there you go. Bum, 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 bum. It's Stop time singing. Da, 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 da. I'm sorry. I'm in a singing kind of mood. Okay. All right. Really? No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. All right, Max, wow. we're here. We're ready. Today we're talking about our favorite 80s fan theories. We got a couple housekeeping items and then we'll roll right into it. I'm going to start out the gate with this. Follow us on social media at Buzz in the Tower. If you've not subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcast or Spotify or You're whatever. You're mean and you suck. There you go. You said it. Took the words out of my mouth. There's a fan <laughs> theory that in another life, you're me and I'm you. That's not true. It is. We're very opposite. Very opposite. So are we saying like polarity kind of thing or no, polarity? No, polarity. <laughs> like <laughs> hilarity. <laughs> Yin and yang kind of stuff. I think, do we get hate mail about how much I made fun of your speech impediments and, and, uh, little bit. and development issues yeah, last yeah. week? I think some people were like, little Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was too much. I thought it was funny. I thought it was funny too. It rhymed. Anything that rhymes is funny. You do like a good rhyme <laughs> on my dime. You're not paying for anything. <laughs> it just rhymes. That's all. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Okay. That. Disproves that. Theory. Yeah, there you go. Shot. Oh, there's another fan theory blown out the window. <laughs> We're rusty. So follow us, subscribe, leave a review. And uh, I have to tell you, we had our first Patreon meetup and it was a blast. We had a handful of our Patreons from all over the globe. 
we had Luis, who was coming in from the UK. Yeah, like 2 a.m. 2 a.m. her time. We hung out. We talked. Max made it weird. It was great. Remember, patreon.com slash buzz in the tower. It is the best way to support the show. We don't have any new Patreons to add this week, so we're not going to buzz the tower, but we will remind you that it's there. We are ready for you to join and reap the benefits of behind-the-scenes content, meetups with us on Zoom, input, input, input on upcoming shows, and again, to those who joined us on our first Zoom, thank you so much. It was an absolute blast. It was so cute. Another thing I want to say right away is there is a podcast called The Confused Breakfast. We've had them on the show. We've been on their show. They have uh, an incredible podcast. I and mean, if you really, if you like what we're doing, you will love what they're doing. Their TikTok is also A plus material. It shames me a little. It, it does. You <laughs> like if I could like fire you and just join with them, we could be the next Joe Rogan. But you are an anchor. That is just tied to my ankle. And here it is. <laughs> there, there All right, go. get it out before the series. Woo, woo. Uh, no, they, they, they crush it. They're a fun group of dudes. And I have to tell you, the inspiration for this entire episode, quite frankly, was them. They have a TikTok that is top notch and they put a bunch of 80s fan theories, not just 80s. They do 90s movies. They do all types of movies. They do these really cool cut ups of fan theories. And you and I watched one in particular, which we're going to talk about. Oh, no, the Dan Aykroyd. I was saying. Oh, that was a really good one. too. Yeah. From Tommy Boyd's the same guy from Ghostbusters. You're blowing it. it. Great Outdoors. Great Outdoors. Great Outdoors. There it is. There it is. Uh, Dan Aykroyd's character from The Great Outdoors after blowing all the money that he has loaned by Chet. He kind of slime balls his way into being the guy in Tommy Boy, who's uh, Callahan Breaks. No, yep. not Callahan Breaks. He's not Callahan. No, he's not, he's What's not his, Tommy Callahan. I don't know what his name is. Whatever. Are you it's ready, Tommy Boy? I'm worry about it. <laughs> I'm going to need you, Tommy Boy, up on stage. Oh, no. Like, okay. Not so much here or here. But right, right here. here. So we love those. I mean, we watch them, and they're great. And we were saying... It would be a lot of fun to talk about some of our favorite fan theories from 80s movies. And there's a lot. I yeah. mean, when you and I dug in, I was like, oh my God, there's a lot. The internet is wild. It is wild. So we've each kind of picked a few that we thought were great. There's probably more out there that we haven't covered. And I think that's it. This is a rule-free episode. We are just going to talk about some of our favorite fan theories that we've heard about wow. 80s movies. No rules? Are you no sure? Rules. Are you okay? No rules. Well, you know the first rule of no rules. There's no rule. We don't, don't talk, talk about Fight Club? We don't talk about Bruno. No, no. <laughs> what are you saying? I mean, how do you not know what that is? And Canto, that Disney Pixar film that my kids have seen and everybody loves. <laughs> and all they do is sing, we don't talk about Bruno. Is that the one where like the Italian, like, Masse Bruno? No, that's a different one. Oh, okay. No, no. Multiple Brunos. There's a lot of Brunos. Isn't there a weird Sasha Baron Cohen movie called Bruno? Yes, yes. Unrelated to anything <laughs> Disney, but yes, you are correct. So look, we've got our list. Your kiss is on my list. Your little Hall & Oates for you. Yeah, I like, you know you can still call the Hall & Oates number and they'll play songs for you? I know. Yeah. Give that number. What is that number? Is it the Jenny number? 5673098675309? That's more numbers. How do you not know the number? This is like the coolest thing you ever made me aware of. It's 719 Yeah, there you go. 266 Two eight three seven. Call that number. Call yeah. that number right now. Seven one nine two six oats. Oh, is it two six oats? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Because your kiss is on my list. I like make my dreams come true. You make my dreams come true. I think Mr. Deeds. <laughs> Mr. Deeds is so bad. That's I cool. love it. That's though. wine punch. <laughs> uh, I think you are underestimating my sneakiness. <laughs> <laughs> My back hurts. Oh, Lord. Uh, all right. So, Max, we each picked a handful of these. So, what I was going to do, I had this idea. I had this okay. plan. This is, I'm pulling a, a surprise on you. I was going to give you a fan theory, go all the way through it, and see if you would call me out for it being something that I made up. So, I came up with a fan theory. 
I had this brilliant idea. I literally was sitting there thinking about my favorite movies. I was thinking about, can I create a fan theory? And it struck me like a bolt of lightning. And I was so excited about it, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you what it is. And then I'm going to tell you why I'm so angry. Wait, what happened? I'm going to tell you what it is. Ready? I'm going to tell you what it is. So, you know a little film called Back to the Future. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, I got a great fan theory on Back to the Future. My fan theory is that Marty McFly's dad, biological father, is Biff Tannen. What? Well, hear me out. On my hand, on my freaking hand of God, I'm sitting at my computer and I'm like, I can make this work. And I came up with this all by myself. I'm like, I can make this work. If you think about it, number one, he looks absolutely nothing like George McFly. In the other movies, the iterations of their relatives that go back, they all look like George and Lorraine, with the exception of like Seamus McFly, right, from the third one. Okay. But everybody else, it all looks like that. Yeah. So that's number one. Number two, from a personality standpoint, the only person I know who has ever gotten in an altercation for being called yellow or chicken (laughs) outside of Marty McFly. You? Is, is Biff Tannen. Biff had the same personality of like, how dare you challenge me? He was extroverted. He was the alpha. And George is this like little wimp, right? Yeah, but Marty's- Hold on, hold on, hold on. There's more, there's more. Let's go to the original before history gets changed, okay? Biff Tannen basically assaults Lorraine. Yet, yeah. Yet here we are 20 years later. No, was it 30, 30 years later? 30, 30 years later. Yeah, exactly. And he's borrowing George's car. And hanging out at the McFly house and it's like, you know, hey, say hi to your mom for me. Like there's this weird connection that he's still involved with them. And like, you don't understand why. And look at the lengths that Biff was willing to go to to have Lorraine. So like, why would that change regardless of getting punched out at the dance or anything else that took place? And then this is where it gets a little bit weird. This is where I get kind of crazy. I've always felt that the biggest gap in Back to the Future is how does Lorraine have a son and the son grows up to look just like this guy, Calvin Klein, that she ran into at a high school prom and she doesn't notice it. I have an answer to that before you answer it. Okay. How about that when he goes back and changes everything, Lorraine, instead of having the biological kid of Biff, actually has George's biological kid. And you know who looks a lot like George McFly? Eric Stoltz. <laughs> oh, Okay. I don't know. Think about it. This is weird. It's weird. Okay, anyways. So this is huge. Marty Shorten's. So I have, this, I have this whole idea, okay? And I wrap it up. I got my notes. I even go deeper than I'm going right now with is you. Is it on the internet? Max, I, I just, for, for you know what and giggles, yeah. I'm like, I'm going to see if anybody's ever thought of this before. I Google Biff Tannen is Marty McFly's biological father. And sure enough, somebody on Reddit has literally word for word my entire argument. And I was heartbroken. I thought I was so cool and creative and somebody else beat me to the punch. I don't like that one. Yeah. Biff is so big. Yeah. So that was my, that was my fun. But the, the Eric Stoltz wrinkle is nice. I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. But so that's it. And I'm, there's, there's other small things too. Like when in back to the future Two, when Biff is opening up the safe in his office to get the sports almanac out. Yeah. And Marty was like, oh, my dad told me that story. And Biff's like, your dad? Confused. Like, your dad? He's mm. like, oh, George McFly. There's little, yeah, you can little nods and yeah. hints, you know? I, I just... Yeah. No, I like it. All right. I thought of one in the car that I made up. <laughs> so, I want this would be great. Like, I put all this time and yeah. energy into it. And, like, deep thought. And then I researched it. And you're like, I was in the car. And I was thinking, you know, Howard the Duck could totally have been Bernie from Weekend at Bernie's. It makes perfect sense. He could be. I mean, that could work. What do you got, Max? Vice versa is anti-capitalist communist propaganda. Vice versa is anti-capitalist anti-communist. No, pro-communist. Pro-communist. Yeah. Got it. Propaganda. Sorry, that's a lot of words. It's a lot of words. Because you think Judge Reinhold, he's like trying to achieve all these kind of money and uh, work goals. Yeah. And then this Asian, Tibetan 
skull whatever thing it is switches their bodies and makes them realize you know the uh, financial goals are fleeting and it's more about connecting with a person and not really achieving those capitalist goals so the only issue I have is isn't that like every isn't that like all anti-capitalist movies that took place in the 80s Brewster's billions millions or whatever is like money billions. doesn't mean anything also the the greatest communism capitalism fan theory that I've ever heard in my entire life is about the Smurfs do you know about the Smurfs <laughs> no this is brilliant okay Smurf Village is a bunch of individuals who are not weighed as being less or more than anyone and their identity is tied to what they do. So you have chef Smurf, you have handy Smurf, like yep. that, that's communism, yeah. right? Like the collective, they all have their job. Nobody makes more, nobody makes less. And Papa Smurf, all he has is a red hat. They're fundamentally, he's not greater or less than anyone else. He just kind of organizes things. Okay. okay? <laughs> Gargamel is trying to steal the individuality of all of the Smurfs oh my God. and turn them into gold. I don't like that. He's capitalism. That's okay. <laughs> you like that? It's weird. It's super weird. We're way off the rails. Yeah. The bottom line is my theory was already taken. Yours is lukewarm. And we just talked about the Smurfs. <laughs> Are we ready to jump into actual fan theories that we found? Yeah. I would love it if you would go first since I already talked about my made up one. Okay. So I went for the. It's, no rules. But is, I mean, do you want me to kind of like try to challenge them or what do you want to see out of me? Yeah. This? All right. I'll try I'll, to challenge them. Well, I mean, pick out the threads. And if you like it, you know, give me a thumbs up and a pat on the back. And you will get one of those cash, things. Feel you'll the get, dreams yeah, kind of thing. Neither of those things for me. Oh. But please continue. Dad. <laughs> <laughs> love me. <laughs> So I want The Shining because Ooh, the shining, the shining. There's a billion. There St are Stanley Kubrick was a weird bird. So I think just one thing to add into this is that some of these fan theories, it later is actually proved are legit. And Stanley Kubrick, one of the things is all these people have these fan theories and then you find out, no, he really was doing these things like these are actual things. So I know we're we're saying fan theories, but just because we call it a fan theory doesn't mean that it's not actually real. It just means that it's more or less a theory that's outside of the scope of the film. Yeah, he was one of those directors like Spike Lee, who's like there's a red light in the left corner of the film and that represents, you know, the devil. And you're like, what? That's like a two second light. He's like, he cared about everything. Right, right. He, detail, very detail oriented. Yeah, he had like a 200 IQ and like would obsess over things. And sometimes I'm like, bro, it's a movie. Like, <laughs> calm down. You telling Stanley Kubrick, bro, <laughs> that you guys are tight like that? I don't know. He seems like a bro, dude. So The Shining is kind of the quintessential of all these. There's even a documentary called Room 237. Have you seen it? I've not. So it's all about the fan theories and like kind of things you can pick up from in the movie. Mm -hmm. So there's literally 10 or 12 of them. And I think five or six are actually justified by him. So I picked one that isn't justified by him and one that's kind of like the main one that actually has the most meat on the bone. Okay. I'm excited. Yeah. So should I talk about The Shining first for a second? Sure. Yeah. For the handful of people that have never seen it. I didn't see it till like a month ago or two months ago. It's yeah. scary. I'm surprised you didn't see it, if nothing else, just because of the relevance of it in um, Ready Player One. Oh, yeah. I kind of thought after, I know you didn't like Ready Player One, the movie, but I thought you would have watched it after just to get a sense of what they were talking about. I got it from The Simpsons, remember? <laughs> Give me the bat, Marge. Give me the bat. Give me the bat. That's funny. The blood usually gets off on the second floor. <laughs> That's a great episode. That's a very good episode. No TV and no something. Make, Make Homer, Homer go something, go something something. Go crazy. Don't mind if I do. <laughs> <laughs> so The Simpsons. Uh, so The Shining, 1980, based on Stephen King's novel, a family heads to an isolated hotel for the winter where a sinister presence influences the father into violence, where his psychic son sees horrific forebodings from both past and future. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. It isn't. Uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and Jack Nicholson, this is probably his best role. It's This is the Joker. Um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Never seen it. It's good. Yeah. It's really, really good. But, but uh, yes, I agree. This is definitely one of his best roles. Yeah. So... 
he's just going bananas. His family's trying to like survive basically the whole time. And Shelly Shelly Duvall's fantastic. And Danny Lloyd is Danny Tolan. Well, she's no Olive from uh, Popeye, but she does a nice <laughs> job. I know that's why I brought it up. It was really good. I really like it. I am what I am. What <laughs> I, I am. What I, yeah. I can, I can just <laughs> listen. <to, laughs> Robin Williams is just muttering the entire movie. He's great. I love it. He's great. His forearms freak me out. There's a there's a him. really really funny Family Guy skit where Popeye is uh, at, like the, at the doctor's office. He's like, and he's like, well, Mr. Popeye, I'm surprised you have a stroke and these tumors on your arms. Okay, good, good. Okay, theory number one. This is the more abstract one. Yes. Kubrick is confessing to staging the moon landing with this movie. Yes. Have you heard this? I have. Okay. It's a huge theory after Space Odyssey 2001, which if you watch now, it still looks like a movie that came out yesterday. For sure. Which is weird. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense. Like, how could no one else do that? Yeah. But it's just Kubrick, I guess. Yeah. But the theory was Kubrick fabricated the set on a movie soundstage and, you know, no one actually landed on the moon. Evidence. (laughs) Point number one, when Kubrick adapted the film from the book, the haunted room was supposed to be room 217, and he changed it to room 237 for no explained reason. Now, do you know what the distance between the Earth to the moon is, good sir? Jesus Christ. I feel like a comic book guy. Uh, I, I do not. Is it 237 miles? <laughs> it's a little farther. Okay. 237,000 miles. Yeah, that's what I said. So it's not like Ohio? Yeah. So that's weird and, and coincidental. And also Danny is wearing this sweater with a very large Apollo 11 rocket on the front mm-hmm. of it. And it's very apparent. It's kind of like maybe he's put it in front of everybody. And there's a ton of eagles throughout the architecture of the Overlook Hotel alluding to America. Sure. And the film heavily features the colors of the American flag. Okay. Yeah. So Red, white, and blue? Yeah. There you go. America. <laughs> America. So what do you think of that one? It's good. Yeah. It's good. It's not bad. It's, it's not bad at all. So now the unfun one that has a huge amount of evidence. Okay. The Shining is about the genocide of Native Americans. That's not good. It's not great. Not good. But this has the most evidence. All right. Go for it. So Stuart Allman, the manager of the hotel, who is dressed in red, white, and blue, he explains that the Overlook was built on an Indian burial ground. So that's our starting point. Right. It's like, uh-oh, haunted. What's right. going on? Right. So there's tons of Native American art around the hotel, including this enormous sand painting on the wall of the Colorado Lounge. So there we go. We're getting like kind of pieces of it. Jack uses the phrase white man's burden, which refers to a poem by Rudyard Kipling, which justifies colonization by white imperialists. You know, it's incredible. You can't speak basic English, but like you actually seem to pronounce <laughs> that guy's name correctly. It's just amazing to me. Confidence, baby. I guess. <laughs> and even on the poster, the extra wide T in the, the for The Shining yes. is the Mayan symbol. Just so we're clear, in the title The Shining, there's only one T, <laughs> so I was aware of what you were talking yeah. about, but go ahead. So the T, the way it's shaped, is the Mayan symbol LK, which means breathe or life. Right. Interestingly enough, it's also the same way that Mr. T's T is. <laughs> really? Did you know that? Is it actually? Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> and the pattern on the carpet in the gold room, hey. Sorry. Sorry. Focus. <laughs> and the pattern in the gold room is a cross with a square, which is the Mayan symbol Khan, which means yellow. Uh, that's not true. Khan is the character <laughs> from Star Trek. I don't know what I'm going to correct you. Khan! <laughs> that would be better, yes. <laughs> and this is the most insane part. In 1777, in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, a tribal chief named Hokolasiqua, I don't know if I have that, yeah. AKA, a.k.a. Chief Cornstalk, was killed without any real reason. His last words were, may the curse of the great spirit rest upon this land. May it be blighted by nature. May it even be blighted by its hopes. May the strength of its people be paralyzed by the stain of our blood. It's creepy, right? Right. People tie the elevator blood and the freezing death to that quote. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. Also, the Overlook Hotel was completed in 1909, the same year that the monument for that 1777 occurrence happened. It was struck by lightning. Do you know what feel I'm getting from you right now? What? 
when in Ghostbusters they take out the blueprints and they're like Dana Barrett's hotel was beat was built. <laughs> yeah. So then I don't don't skip over that. Don't yeah, talk about Zool for a second. Oh, yeah. Hail Zool. Wait no. Hail Zod. Kneel before Zod. What are we doing? Come Where on, am I? Come on. Smell man. bacon. Jesus. Christ. I'm gonna stroke. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, then on July fourth, nineteen twenty one, the monument was struck by lightning again. It's Gozer the Gazarian, by the way. <laughs> but go ahead. I'm does sorry. That, does that date matter to you at all? Yeah, it does. What is it? It's when Gozar <laughs> picked one of the three forms. <laughs> the final old photograph that Jack's like trapped in at the end of the uh, film, July 4th, gotcha, 1921. Gotcha. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. It's got rhythm. Makes you, sense. You turned into me halfway through that. Like looking no, around. <laughs> I, because I'm sitting here trying to remember it wasn't Zool. It was Gozar. And then I kind of went on my own Gozar, the Gozarian path. <laughs> so I did it. Choose one of the travelers. <laughs> Good, good first theory. I have no, people are going to remember my theory. They're I have nothing. I know they won't. I, I am not. Uh, I'm not capable of debunking your theory. I have nothing to debunk. Well, Kubrick, it. it's easy because it's, it's like uh, it's tight. Yeah, tight and tight. Jeez, can't use that. Is it my turn, Mister Sanders? <laughs> <laughs> Who is that? No one. Uh. That's my. That's my. I feel. I feel like a little boy, and you're like my dad, telling me what's going on. And you got all smart. So I like Mister Sanders. <laughs> can I go now? Is it my turn? Make that a personality. That's, that is a personality. Let's call that uh, baby mo. Baby mo. <laughs> I didn't sound like. I didn't sound like a little dork when I was a baby. A middle school mo. Oh, cool oh, middle baby. school mo. Oh, the coolest baby. Oh, I can't wait, Mister Sanders, to do my turn. It's gonna be great. Smoking menthols at three. Jesus. <laughs> That's great. Woo. All right. What my turn. Yeah. All right, Max. I'm going to start off with a fan theory about one of my favorite movies. So when I picked my favorite fan theories, it was a blend of fan theories I really liked, but probably I leaned heavier towards movies I really liked. Sure. You want to be excited about it. I'm excited about everything all the time. No, you're not. You're miserable. Super. I am a miserable <laughs> person. What a, what a terrible thing to say. Well, no, your kids brighten you up. And yeah. like when you're in talking, you like that. <laughs> <laughs> when you speak the Queen's English, that's really when I'm excited. Higgy, higgy. Oh, man. Labyrinth. Yep. Uh, David Bowie and uh, my boy Jim Henson and, of course, the incomparable Jennifer Connelly. <laughs> She's so bad in this movie. Max, shut your rotten I mouth. love her normally. We're going to end up doing a full movie review on Labyrinth. Good. So you better chill out. Pull it apart. Max, uh, 16-year-old girl Sarah is given 13 hours to solve a labyrinth and rescue her baby brother Toby when her wish for him to be taken away is granted by the Goblin King, Jareth. He grew up to be Toby Flenderson from The Office. <laughs> Max, do you know how many times, literally, we, we we talk daily, almost, Yep. and then when we come in here, we're spending like hours together. Do you know how many times I say, I wish the goblins would take you away right now? Do you know how many times it goes on in my head? Max? Max? Why aren't you crying? Nah, I'm still here. <laughs> oh, geez. I, I thought Jareth came and took you away. I got very scared. <laughs> I immediately regretted it. I'm sorry. I love this movie. You know I love this movie. It's not just because I love everything Jim Henson. Even when I was younger and before I was putting two and two together that it was a Jim Henson movie. I just love this movie. And I saw this fan theory and I thought it was brilliant. David Bowie's hair is not real. Yeah, right. <laughs> so the theory and part of the reason I really like this fan theory is that I think it opens up the ability to do a prequel to Labyrinth. Oh. I know there's been talk about doing a sequel. But obviously, David Bowie's no longer with us, which is brutal. I love David Bowie. But who I think, would you want? Oh, God. Yeah. Who as a young yeah, Jareth. Yeah. A young Jareth. See, I think I'd want to go with a musician. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. Who sings the song uh, Watermelon Sugar? Oh, God. It, is that Bruno Mars? No. <laughs> you and I are so old. Even I know it's not Bruno Mars. Hold on. Let me look it up. Beep, right. boop, 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 boop. 
Harry Styles. That could work. I think he could do a young Jareth. Yeah. And it would be great. I'd like that. He's talented. I'm not going to lie to you. I My kids are obsessed with watermelon sugar and they yeah. play it all the time. And I just don't tell them what it really stands for because I would not be okay. I don't know what it stands for. I thought it's it was good. Nope. You're good. Moving move along. Nothing to see here. Like a mojito. Like around. But the yeah, river. that's exactly what it okay. is. So part of the reason I love this fan theory is it opens up the opportunity for a prequel in my mind to Labyrinth. So the fan theory stands that a sorcerer named Jareth fell in love with a dark haired girl named Sarah, but Sarah's parents wouldn't allow her to marry him because they wanted her to take care of her spoiled baby brother in retaliation. Jareth kidnapped the baby and turned him into a goblin marrying Sarah, but Sarah died shortly after and Jareth went mad and started hunting for a replacement for Sarah in the human world. So over thousands of years, yeah, he'd find girls named Sarah who had bratty little brothers and it would end up that she was taking the little brothers and turning them into goblins. So this is like a Big Trouble Little China Lopan kind of situation. It is nothing like Big Trouble in Little China because Lopan. He's looking for the green eyed girl for like 2,000 years. To, to reverse a curse that was put on him. This is a self-induced curse. There's no magic involved with his curse. I thought that was a good connection. So, no, it was a terrible stretch. Okay. You should be ashamed of everything that just came out of your mouth. I'm not. You're awarded no points. And may, <laughs> and may God, God have mercy, mercy on, on your soul. soul. <laughs> uh, so whenever Jareth finds dark haired Sarah with a bratty brother, he kidnaps the baby for her. As centuries of Sarah's have failed his labyrinth, he turns hundreds of babies into goblins. He becomes Jareth the Goblin King. This theory also explains why Sarah has a book detailing the story. Like nobody ever talks about that, that she has this entire book that already says it. Also, when Jareth says she should have given up by now, why would he? What's that in reference to? Exactly. And then when Hoggle says, oh, it's you. They'd never met. This is the first time they met. And he goes, oh, it's you. And then Sarah tells her her name and he goes, that's what I thought. So like he already knows oh, yeah. if I see a human girl with, yeah. you know, hair like yours, it's got to be a Sarah. So why is he turning them into goblins? Because he's mad. Oh, his heart was broken. Okay. That's why. So baby goblins. Baby goblins. <laughs> that's, that totally makes sense, Max. That's what you do. You turn them into little goblins. God, you sound like someone I know. Because here's the thing. I do. Professor Frank. I, sometimes bit. I do voices and I like, it's just like me doing the beep, boop, 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 boop. Yeah. There are things that are so ingrained into my pop culture head that I do a voice and don't even realize that it's some it's character something. from a cartoon. It is. I, I put it yeah. out to our fans as usual. <laughs> if you guys should just tell me who this voice is, it would be fantastic. <laughs> it's somebody. It's somebody. I like it though. Somebody. Yeah. Somebody. Um. So that's what I got for it's you. It's layered. It's textured. You like it? Yeah. That's my one of my favorite fan theories. Max. Yep. It's your turn. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this one I think is my favorite. Oh boy. Why do you always do that? You always will either make your favorite like the middle or the first. You never end with your favorite. Why would I end with my favorite? I don't know. Crescendo. I don't know. I, I'm not patient. You're not. Yeah. I don't like to like slow play people. No, you don't. Yeah. It's funny on TikTok. You're like. Hold it for more than three seconds. I'm like, no, they need to see it Your now. TikToks are so brutal sometimes. It's like, wait for it. Done. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's Jason Bourne. A lot more of those coming. Oh, I know. You, you are, you are, you are the worst. <laughs> if you get one thing that works on TikTok, you're like, fire up the old machine. Let's get about 50 of these out there. It's great. It's, it's great. very true. I All like right. Consistency. Hit me. What do you got? Ferris Bueller. Oh. The 1986 John Hughes written and directed classic. All right. All One right. of our favorites. Yeah. It's a good Matthew movie. Matthew Broderick. I like it. Alan Ruck. Mia Sarah. God, Mia Sarah. But uh, Jennifer Grey, Charlie Sheen. A high school wise guy is determined to have a day off from school. Seems like just a kind of logical, not logical. Uh, just seems totally like- logical. <laughs> what high school? It's not logical to a high schooler. Yeah, I guess so. school. It's just a carefree day. Yeah. But. But. What if Ferris Bueller didn't exist? What? 
Yeah. Uh, are we talking Fight Club? Fight Club. We're trip. talking Fight Club. Yeah. So he's just a figment of Cameron's imagination. So basis of this, Cameron wakes up completely depressed. Right. By himself in the house. When Cameron yeah. was in Egypt's land. I mean, dude, when Ferris. Wait, wait for it. It's a TikTok video. Let my Cameron go. go. <laughs> so he's alone in bed and. I love the way Ferris described his house. It's like, it's very, it's very nice. It's very cold and you can't touch anything. Right. It just seems like, man, that guy's, he's gotta be awful Correct. being Cameron. Correct. So the only way he's getting up is by splitting his consciousness. So there's this sub theory that the whole day takes place in Cameron's mind that he created like this more audacious, more popular, crazy guy to force himself to have the perfect day he could never have in real life. But is he having that perfect day with Ferris or is Ferris not a part of this? No, no. So he wakes up and then the whole day is him imagining what he would do with so Ferris. He, so he, is Ferris, does Ferris exist? No. So he woke up and he this, imagined that some guy named Ferris yep. called him. Yeah. And then he split his personality. Well, then, no, he just basically dreamed the day. Got it. Okay. Like Ferris is what he wants to be. Got it. In his subconscious. Got it. So think about barring the Ferrari, the Abe Foreman scam, Froman. Abe Froman. Yeah, right. The sausage king of Chicago. Yeah. The sausage, the sausage. I am Max. I'm stroking. I'm doing a Max. <laughs> Yeah. The Sausage King of Chicago. Yeah. I mean, here's the evidence. How could they do so much in just one seven, eight hour period? Because they get there, they get together at like 10, 30, 11 a.m. There's no way they could go to the ball game. They, they do the float. They go to the art museum, the stock exchange, lunch. It's just, it's too much stuff to do in one day. So that's the first part of it. A little bit of a stretch. Meh. Okay. Second part. There's all these save Ferris messages all across the city. Uh-huh. It's symbolic of how Cameron wants someone to care for him. Okay. So he's like picking up on it. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like, it's like inception. It's like, oh, it's kind of a dream. Yeah. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. And the storybook ending for Ferris and Sloan, Cameron is kind of neatly tying up his created stories. And it's also weird. I thought of this myself. Actually, this wasn't part of the theory. Oh, this will be good. Sloan being so dream girl-esque and so weirdly kind to Cameron. It doesn't make sense. Remember when he looked at her changing and she's like, it's okay if you looked. No girl's going to be like that in general. <laughs> Seriously. Your creepy friend watched me undress. That's strange. She's super nice about it. She's like, almost nice flirtatious. It. It's really strange. Yeah. So that part I like. I mean, I don't like it. You know what I mean? No, I like you like it. It's yeah. okay. You're like, ah, oh, yeah. And <laughs> also Ferris breaking the fourth wall is really just Cameron talking to himself. I, this isn't like, I, it's hard for me to follow because like I'm trying to pick it apart probably from the wrong yeah. angle. I think where you would convince me of this a little bit more would be that he has a friend named Ferris. Mm. Ferris does exist, but he never got out of bed. Oh, but the entire thing is the fantasy of what would have happened if he had just gotten out of bed. That works too. So the thing about him not getting out of bed or Ferris being made up is that he works himself into a frenzy and the car kick is real that everything else led him to destroying the car and breaking with these imaginary friends and yeah. covering it himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. I like it. There's also a really cool YouTube clip of like a Ferris Bueller fight club trailer. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, yeah, it is really cool. They should post that on our uh, social I'm going media. To. There you go. Yeah. Oh, Jesus, yeah. calm down. Damn, get so excited about it. <laughs> Yell at me, for God's sake. What are we doing? What's the deal? <laughs> All right. What is my next one? I'm saving my favorite one for last. Weirdo. This next one is the one I give all credit to Confused Breakfast. I'd never heard this before. I'd never seen this before. I didn't know this existed. And it combines two of my favorite movies. This is great. So The Goonies and Back to the Future are unquestionably two of the most important films made in the 80s. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. What if I were to tell you that The Goonies and Back to the Future both took place on the same day? That's a weird coincidence. It's a weird coincidence. Let me walk you through this. You ready? Okay. And Back to the Future, Doc is showing Marty the DeLorean 
at Twin Pines at some point becoming Lone Pines Mall. <laughs> I love that you put that in. I always have to put that in. <laughs> so he shows him the DeLorean. Yeah, you made a time machine out of a DeLorean? Like, you know, you know all the classic yeah. lines. When he introduces the inside of the DeLorean and he's showing the flux capacitor and the time circuit. Yep. And the time circuit is what gets screwed up and eventually leads to him going back into the West. All the, the numbers? Future. Yeah. Yeah. But it shows today's date, the current date. That's one of the lines for the dates is when all this is taking place. And that date is October 26th, yep. 1985. That's all you need to know from the back to the future side of things. Okay. Let's slide on over to the Goonies for a second. The first clue as to when the date is. So the opening scene of the Goonies, the Fratellis escape from a small jail, right? Yep. They drive through town. You're introduced to all the characters, everyone from Steph to Chunk, Chunk, to Chunk his putting his milkshake <laughs> and his pizza. Scene. You do love that scene. <laughs> so they're driving through town. A couple guns are shot at them. They hop onto the sand and they join a four by four or four wheel off-roading yep. race. Then you get to the Goonies. Chunk rushes over to Mikey's house. Yeah. And he's no- like, let me in right now. I got to tell you what happened. I got to tell you what happened. Bullet holes, gunshots, tells him the whole story. Yeah, that's airtight. Right? Yeah. It, in addition to that, Chunk is at, I think, an arcade with his pizza yep. and his uh, and a milkshake. And that seems to me like something you do on the weekends. I don't think he was skipping school per se. No, no, you have me so far. Okay. Mouth walks in to Mikey's house and everybody's bummed out. Obviously, because the goondocks are going away. And Mouth makes the comment, last Goonies weekend. And that tells us that it's at least a weekend. He then he then says something to the effect of, what is this, nuclear Saturday or something? So I think it's reasonable to assume it's a Saturday. Okay. Okay. I think we're 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 you at least would concede it's a Saturday. Brant, remember when he was doing the upside down sit-ups? He was putting his feet in that thing? Yeah. Directly behind Brant is a calendar. The calendar is on October. Okay. I went online. And I looked up 1985, and in 1985, the first day of October was a Tuesday, and that lines up with having Saturday being the 26th. Okay. And that is when this is supposedly in is 1985. Yep. Later in the movie, when they're all together, Steph grabs a newspaper, which is hanging on the wall. Yep. Do you remember this? Yeah. The headline says, Fratelli's at it again. And at first, when you see this, I think it's easy to assume that they're talking about the Fratellis escaping. But it's actually, if you look at the article, about them getting arrested. Okay. And the date on the article, if you look at it, says Thursday, October 24th. Okay, so we eliminate the rest of October. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So fall, I mean, doesn't that have to be that Saturday? So we know it's a Saturday because Mouth says Saturday. We know it's not the beginning of October because that article came out on a Thursday about the Fratellis being busted in jail. Yeah. It's airtight. Yeah. So are we in agreement that Goonies and Back to the Future took place on the exact same day? Has Spielberg been asked about this? I don't know. You didn't look? I didn't. Oh. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not making the case they're in the same universe with each other. It's just a fascinating yeah, no, fan th- theory. This seems like a puppeteer Spielberg thing, like a fun Easter egg. I, I would think so. Right? Here's the thing. If it was if it was coincidence, it's a hell of a coincidence because it's two of the most impactful 80s films yeah. of the entire decade. Both took place on the exact same day. No, I love it. And this is Spielberg at his like height. So why not just, you know, bingo, mess bingo, bango, my friend, <laughs> bingo, bango. That's a bingo. There is a, I think I told you about this, that there is a show that's being greenlit right now called Our Time that is about a substitute teacher mm. and three kids. And the three kids are trying to reshoot the Goonies scene by scene with the help of their substitute teacher. Oh, no way. I'm kind of interested in seeing it. Yeah. Uh, on American Dad, they had a, they had a episode where they imitated the Goonies. Nice. It's funny. All right, Max, I feel good about that. Why don't we... Uh, Theorize up an ad. Why don't we... This is our time down here. Oh, up here. Okay, fine. I won't do it. Do it. I'm going to take you back. 
back max to an ad Buzz in the Tower is also brought to you by Dobie Real Estate, the premier real estate group of Southeast Michigan. Dobie is the place to go if you are buying or selling a home. Max, another amazing fan theory. I bet you thought I was out of them. I got one Jesus more. Jesus Christ. Lethal Weapon 2. Remember the house on stilts? Or Mel just uh, destroys it. With his pickup truck. No, he, he ties his pickup truck to it and rinses it down. So here's the part of the story that you never saw. When that house crumbled to the ground and then was seized by the DEA for diplomatic immunity, the house went back up on sale. They had to rebuild it, of course. And you know who they got to sell the murder-ridden, drug-trafficking embezzlement house? The guy from Double Impact? Dobie Real Estate Group. They went in there, they sold the house, and that's how good they are. If they could sell Riggs's destructive mess, they could do it with anyone. Visit their website, wearedobie.com. If you reach out to them, tell them Buzz in the Tower sent you. $400 million in sales in 2021, 1,000 homes sold. They are the best at what they do, and it shows. You find them all over the place. They have A-plus rated agents. I highly recommend if you're thinking of buying or selling in this insane market that we're dealing with right now, reach out to Dobie, they will take care of you. And we're back. Yep. So <laughs> to the future. <laughs> so I have one small one before my big one. Sure. Do you want me to do that one first? Do the small one. This one's insane. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I actually have got a couple small ones too. I might throw in when I'm done with my big your, one. The, your head's going to explode. Wait, do you want to do this? Let's do our last big ones and then we'll throw in like little. Okay. Yeah. You want right. to do that? Yeah. That makes more sense. Right? I like my dessert before my dinner. I know. I know. I know. Okay. But this one was fun. I didn't know this one existed. Beetlejuice. Yes. Beetlejuice. Yes. Beetlejuice. Where oh is he? God. Where is he? Bum, 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 oh, my God. Bum, bum, bum. Is this the Michael Keaton character you would want to hang out most with? 100%. I don't know. His Batman's pretty cool. His Batman is cool yeah. to watch from afar, but hang, but hang out with? Yeah. It's either this or Gung Ho. No, it's Bill Blajewaski from Night Shift. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a really good one, too. I don't know. The Beetlejuice is great. It is pretty good. So, 1988, the spirits of a deceased couple are harassed by an unbearable family that has moved into their home, and they hire Beetlejuice to drive them out. You know, I just realized I didn't do a synopsis of Back to the Future or The Goonies. I think people know. <laughs> I hope that people know those two, but continue. Kids go looking for something. Yeah, and Goonies. A bunch of kids find One-Eyed Willie's treasure and save the day. And a mom has a hot for her. Yeah, son. Back to the Future, Oedipal Complex. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis, Michael Keaton, Catherine O'Hare, Winona Ryder, Tim Burton movie. It's yes. like very it's one of the most Tim Burton movies ever. Ever. This is probably his best. Wow. The most defining of him. Like maybe nightmare maybe nightmare before Christmas. Mm. It's hard. We should think about that sometime. Yeah. I also love Big Fish. Big Fish is good. Makes me cry. But uh the theory is Beetlejuice isn't dead. Isn't that weird to think about? Beetlejuice is not dead. So Everyone thinks he's dead. So the first piece of evidence is his actual death in the movie. If you remember, he gets eaten by the sandworm. Sandworm, yep, at his wedding. Yep, and he ends up in the waiting room with the shrunken head dude. Correct. You know, switching the numbers. Yes. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I love when his head gets small. It's exactly the same poof getting there as the dead football team in the plane crash. Right. Remember, they're like, how do we get here? Which, you by know? the way, Tim Capello tried out for that role and could have been in that movie. Yeah. But continue. It's a dude from summer school. I and, know. Yeah. <laughs> or you can get there by how Adam and Barbara got there by reading the handbook for the recently deceased. And, and putting the chalk on the wall. Drawing the door and, and knocking, knocking three, three times. times. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but Beetlejuice wouldn't do that. That just doesn't seem like, why would he do that to get to the... Sure. So it's logical to think he died to get okay. there. Okay. And if you think about it, Adam and Barbara... 
uh, they go through a tremendous amount of like physical pain stuff. Like remember he gets his head decapitated as a joke. Uh, she puts her hand over the flames and nothing happens. Right. So in the theory, in that theory, if he was eaten by the sandworm, he should be able to survive that if he's dead. So yeah, except do you think the sandworm has some mysticism to it? Right. Like Cause isn't, isn't, isn't like the sandworm, like isn't that a the purgatory theater? pain place of hell? I don't know. I don't know either. Yeah, it sounds good. All right. And also, Beetlejuice is seen repeatedly eating. No other dead person in the film eats. He eats a beetle and he eats a fly. Zagnut. Yeah. <laughs> so it's logical to think he needs food intake to live. Okay. All right. And it's hypothesized that Beetlejuice is a living person among the dead for too long. And the only way he can re-enter the realm of the living is to marry a living human. That's why he's so intent on marrying Winona Ryder. Yeah. And Lydia Dietz. Yeah. And people are like, well, Beetlejuice has magic. You know, he can do all these weird things. But remember, at the end, Lydia is floating with the football team. She's not dead, but she's like read the book and understands magic. Well, no, that isn't because she read the book and understands magic that was because remember she came home and she's like come on do it it was because the the maitlands well, i can't think of their names um victor maitland from beverly hills cop uh, it's because they did it so they they possessed her the same way that they possessed the family at the banana boat song ah fine that's the one piece i could refute easily yeah that's fine because okay. remember that was her don't you remember barbara was like adam you know you promised and he's like well she did get a c in science <laughs> and and barbara was like well you never did better than and he was like fine he tipped his glasses down and he did the magic to possess her to oh do yeah the dance. okay yeah okay theory unraveled all right still fun though it's good very yeah. good uh max my last one is crazy <laughs> okay <laughs> Oh man. All right, here we go. You this is up. this is uh I, I perked up because this is a wild one. Robocop is the story of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Where did you find this? It's a Christian allegory. Really? Yeah. <laughs> How? Uh, hold on. I'm I'm getting there. His got, spikes are like a oh, cross. Oh, just wait, just wait. Is that part of wait, it? No, just wait. Don't say anything. Okay, first of all, Robocop. <laughs> Dead or alive, you will be saved. 1987 can be argued as one of the best sci-fi movies of the decade. Definitely. Definitely. Most original. Directed by our friend, friend of the show, Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> he uh, he crushed it, right? Hollow Man, what's up? Uh, Peter Weller as Robocop. Yep. That's all you need to know. <laughs> Is it? I think I need That's to know all more. you need to know. <laughs> In a dystopic and crime-ridden Detroit, a terminally wounded cop returns to the force as a powerful cyborg haunted by submerged memories. Max, I, I've come across a lot of things in my day. This theory, not only is this theory insane to me, it is a validated theory by Verhoeven. The <laughs> no, by Verhoeven. Seriously? Yeah. Let me, let, me, let me give you his quote. I'll go back, but let me just give you his quote. This is in a 2010 interview, I think. Okay. Okay. The point of RoboCop, of course, is it's a Christ story. Oh, my God. Coming off hot. <laughs> it's about a guy that gets crucified after 50 minutes, then is resurrected in the next 50 minutes, and then is like a super cop of the world, but is also a Jesus figure as he walks over water at the end of the movie. Oh, my. That water? that He walks on water at that, the end of the movie. That water did seem out of place. So let's back up. Yep. Let's just back up, okay? So Murphy starts off as a good cop, yep. a good human being. Family man. He's, I'm guessing he's in his 30s or 40s, yeah. right? Mid-30s. So he's not old at the end of his oh, trip. Jesus is 33. Bingo, bango. Oh. Just wait, just wait. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> he, <laughs> this is so amazing. So as he is being destroyed, I mean like mutilated. Yeah. 
Do you notice the one scene they take a lot of time on is when they shoot his hand off? They, they do. They put the bullet through his hand, the crucifixion. Oh. Getting the, the thing up. through his hand. Right, right. Okay, so there's there's your crucifixion. There's more layers to it than even that, right? So Detroit is a hot mess, right? But Detroit is meant to be like the world. And RoboCop is sent to save the world, save Detroit. Yep. He comes to Detroit as Alex Murphy. He tries his best to save Detroit, but it is only through his death and resurrection as RoboCop that he is able to save Detroit. This is wild. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. OCP, right? Dick Jones, corrupt. What do they do? They try to make another RoboCop, false idol. Oh my God. Right? I mean, this is, I'm going to pull a little bit of Moses into this, right? But like, think about RoboCop. What is he beholden to? His law? His prime directives. Yeah. Which are like God's Ten Commandments. So commandments, the 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 now you No, no, listen, because think about it, right? Stretch Armstrong. He has the power to do anything he wants, but is beholden to directives, commandments, laws, and even at the very end of the movie, when the good guy has been established and the bad guy has been established, he does not violate his prime directives. The old man has to fire Dick Jones, and that's when he can kill him. But Jesus. Didn't like abide by all the rules. He so, so yes, he did. I don't what know. rules did? Please lecture me on Jesus. I'm curious to think what what rule did Jesus violate? Well, I watched the Last Temptation of Christ. Oh, that's, that's not yeah, that's that's, oh, that's, that's, that's not? fan fiction. Okay. That's not that's not <laughs> that's not what happened. No, not what. Oh, happened. I watched on Family Guy. <laughs> it seemed like it was a little off. Also. <laughs> When pressed about this, okay, when someone was like asking Verhoeven about like the violence and like, you know, Jesus wasn't going around taking a wooden peg in his hand and jamming it into Boddicker's eye socket. He's like, yeah, it's American Jesus, <laughs> which I loved even more. That that's the solution to the biggest gap in this is like the gratuitous violence of yeah. RoboCop being Jesus. He's like, no, no, but it's American Jesus. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if he confirmed it, too. I mean, that's what he was going for. You have to kind of ignore RoboCop (laughs) 2 and 3 in order to make this work. (laughs) Actually, that's not even true. I take that back. Because, like, really, RoboCop 2 fits in line with this totally, (laughs) right? It does. Because he's got his apostles. Okay. And and uh what's what's her face? Lois. Lois is basically Mary Magdalene. Okay, now now you're just grasping. Dude, it's awesome. <laughs> Robocop yeah. being Jesus made my day. This, this is really good. All right, yeah. good. You should have a t shirt that says that. Robocop is Jesus. It's American It'll Jesus. Be American real, Jesus. Might offend people. Yeah. Uh Max, that wraps it on mine and yours. Are there any mini fan theories that we don't want to dive too deep into and just spit out there and see what people think. Yeah. I've got a couple. You've got a couple. Let's hit them. So one of my favorites is The Thing. The Thing. Yeah. I love this movie. Carpenter, your boy. Yeah. And uh, Libby, our fan, was like, please do this. Yes. So do you know the theory? The president of the Buzz in the Tower Canadian fan <laughs> She club. is. Or vice president. Or vice president, if you ask Mr. Lavender. Yeah. Do you know this theory about Keith David and Kurt Russell at the end? I think so. So it's Kurt Russell and Keith David alone at the end. The whole facility's burning. They're not sure who's who or who's been turned into one of the things. When Kurt Russell hands the bottle of alcohol to Keith David, it's assumed that he... Uh, there's, put- this is the theory that there's iocane powder in it, right? <laughs> sorry, sorry, I'm sorry. This is break my mind. There you go. That it wasn't booze, it was gasoline. So he was testing him to see if he was an alien because he didn't flinch. Got it. So he's like, oh, we're just screwed. And I think it's been disproven by Carpenter, okay. unfortunately. But it's, you, good. Right. but it's cool. It's, it's cute. A, it's, it's yeah. cute. What else you got? This one's going to blow your mind. Oh, this is boy. my favorite combination of things I've ever heard of. Why didn't you make this one of your big ones? There's not enough to like unravel. Uh, not enough meat to, on the bone. Gotcha. Dutch from Predator being the inspiration for the T-800 in the future. Dutch from Predator. Yeah. Being the inspiration for the T-800. Okay. 
Because, okay, I've gone through fan theories. Dutch is never heard from again in canon, except he was treated for light radiation poisoning, and then he disappears. Sure. Okay, in the Alien versus Predator arcade game, which is, I think, a 90s game, and it was like the first crossover between the two, actually, mm-hmm. So which led to a lot more you know, of these AVP ones, we meet a cyborg in the game by the name of Dutch Schaefer, who is described as a cyborg created to fight aliens. So he probably is like the genesis of the inspiration of sure. yeah, creating like metal and uh, you know humans. And he's like the perfect specimen because he could actually take on the Predator. So you think Cyberdyne started as a company that was just trying to kill aliens? Yeah, and in this game, it's called Hyperdyne or something like that. So like they <laughs> it's ripped called it. Cyberdyne. <laughs> I think that's cool. That's great. Because otherwise, why would you have this weird Austrian Jack dude be your robot? Yeah. Yeah. Unless you had other intentions for that <laughs> robot. <laughs> That's neither here nor there. All right, good. I like it. Yeah. You got another one? I do. Oh, what do you got? Who framed Roger Rabbit? Yes. So Judge Doom Please. is actually a possum, cartoon possum that they show throughout the movie. Remember me, Eddie? <laughs> <laughs> So in the background, when uh, Judge Doom is pointing his gun, yes. if you see the mirror image of that over the possum in the back of a cartoon part, yes. he has the exact same red eyes and is using the exact same gun pointed in the exact same way. Okay. Yeah. I look it up. to look it up. Yeah. Uh, all right. I've got a couple for you. How about that E.T. is in fact a Jedi? <laughs> Hold on, hold on. So Phone e- solo. E.T. has made an appearance in two other movies outside of E.T. Do you know what those are? One of them you know. Phantom Menace. Yes. Yeah. So in The Phantom Menace, he is in one of the, <laughs> they're, they're, the Republic is all meeting and there's constituents from all the different, yeah. you know, nation, alien nations. And there's an E.T. alien nation. There is. He's in The Never Ending Story. He is? Yes, he is. As so, is, so is Mickey Mouse. When they're all having the meeting, yeah. there's, there's constituents. There's freaking E.T.? I believe. I believe there's an E.T. Okay, cool. But more importantly, he's a Jedi. If you look at all of the skill sets that E.T. has, they're all Jedi skill sets, like levitation, healing. mind control, healing. So I, I like that. That and made sense stuff. to me. Yeah, yeah, moving stuff. That's levitation. I yeah. thought it was the same thing. Uh, all right. I got that for you. And I have my only other one. Hold on. This one is really morbid, but I like it. Uh <laughs> At the end of Ghostbusters, when they are forced to cross the stream to take care of Gozar the Gozarian, yeah. you remember I butchered that earlier on, uh, they actually instantaneously died. Yeah. Crossing the stream would be really bad. So yeah. what you see at the end of that is just kind of their made up fantasy of what's going on. Like, it is kind of It's this very happy ending. <laughs> yeah. There's music playing. Like everything's perfect. Yeah. Dana's okay. Even Slimer's happy yeah, to see Slimer's that. Slimer's happy. But what really makes this morbid is that Ghostbusters 2 then becomes a movie about their purgatory and hell oh yeah so vigo the carpathian so think about the beginning of ghostbusters 2 is hell they're yeah. all separated from each other yeah. there's no group there's no gang you do you do wonder like what happened to them like they should have been famous and right. cool forever yeah okay yeah i like it only a carpathian <laughs> you love <saying laughs> i do love saying that biggie 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 <laughs> you've been a naughty monkey uh all right those are my short ones dad at the end good yeah all right max are you ready it's time for the bunch in the tower <laughs> fan spotlight <laughs> Max, today's Buzz in the Tower fan spotlight, I'm going to fanboy out a little bit. Yeah. Um, This is Jason Schumann. This guy, (laughs) this guy is cut from the Buzz in the Tower cloth. 80s. 80s. So he's got a show that's called Acapulco. Yep. It is about this guy who gets his dream job at a resort in Acapulco. It's still like teal and neon and pink. It stinks of 80s. It's really, really funny. It's It's great. It's perfumed 80s. Then, then, take that aside. 
I know you've got to be excited because there's nothing you love more. You love the NBA. Yeah, so Winning Time is my favorite show right now. Right. It's and about the 1980s Showtime Lakers, and they're taking their time with it and like really seeing where it came from. Yeah. And it's like quintessential ridiculousness, over the top, L.A., movie stars, absurdity, and it's kind of filmed in an 80s way. Literally my favorite show right now. If you go back a little bit further, I got to tell you, and it's funny because when we were chatting with him, I, he didn't even bring this up, but for you and I, we both love this movie. I mean, like love this movie. Role models. So funny. Paul Rudd, Sean William Scott. This is a hidden gem. And McLovin. I, yeah. I don't think like when they do LARPing. Yeah. It is the fun, <laughs> that, that whole. And again, it's great. Yeah. So yeah, Jason is a entertainment guru. I mean, yeah. he knows the space really well. So I am really interested to see. We asked him, what is your favorite fan theory slash hidden theory about movies? And I'm not going to talk anymore. I just want to see what he had to say. Hello, Buzz in the Tower. My name is Jason Schumann. I'm a writer, producer. Uh, some of my current work can be seen on Apple Plus called Acapulco, all about the 80s. Uh, a hotel in Acapulco in the 80s. Tons of 80s references and music and costumes and just about everything from the 80s. Uh, also on HBO, HBO Max, my show um, Winning Time, The Rise of the Laker Dynasty is all about Los Angeles and the Lakers and show business and basketball all throughout the 80s. So I uh, hope you enjoy all my 80s work currently at the moment. Uh, I'm here today to talk about Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, one of my favorite movies from the 80s. But what people may not know or realize is that the whole movie, uh, at least from the original script, was hinged on Steve Martin's character having cheated on his wife. And when you watch the movie, he's trying to get home for Thanksgiving, sure. But every time he calls back, his wife is very dramatic about what he's doing and who's this Del Griffith. And when you look at it from the lens of him having cheated, which was taken out of the final cut, you realize those scenes between him and his wife are just super overplayed. Like she's half crying. She's sitting up at night, wait, thinking about him, wondering where he is. And he is telling Del Griffith that he's got to get home by Thanksgiving, that this is all bad. But he never gives any context because they cut it all out. And then in the very end of the movie, when he actually shows up, with John Candy, with Del Griffith, and you see him introduce, Steve Martin introduce his wife to Del Griffith, and you see she believes him, and there's this whole moment where she's like, he's like, hello, Mrs. Page, hello, Mr. Griffith, and then Steve Martin and his wife have this very tearful, very emotional reunion, which in the movie itself, it works fine, but when you actually watch it, knowing that in John Hughes's original script, that Neil Page had cheated on his wife. They had been working it out. And this Thanksgiving was supposed to be like the start of something. And that you learn over the movie that he cheated on her and that she feels he doesn't trust, she doesn't trust him. So him coming home with Del Griffith kind of signified that he wasn't lying, that she, that their marriage is on the mend. And that's why they have that very emotional embrace. My guess is that either when they cut it together, John Hughes didn't like the ugliness of the divorce, or they maybe test screened it and found out that the audiences didn't like that Neil Page, played by Steve Martin, had cheated on his wife, and they just wanted to enjoy the comedy and the duo of Steve Martin and John Candy driving across country. Either way, it's a really fun tidbit to, to me because it's one of the great 80s movies that works regardless of what they had to cut out. 
So that's Jason Schumann here for Buzz in the Tower. Thank you for having me. Jesus Christ, it's Jason Bourne. <laughs> that's wild. Max, that's one of my favorite movies ever. I had no clue. And it makes perfect sense. It does. It explain. I always remember sometimes there are things in movies that you ignore because yep. you love the movie so much. Well, you want to get back to Dell. And, you know? and, and yeah. I just was thinking, why is his wife so dramatic? Like, yeah. it's, he's, okay, he's late. It's, it's Thanksgiving. Not like, yeah. Right. But this makes this patches it together perfectly. He crushed it. Uh, he is so much detail. Yeah. I mean, that's, but this is why when you executive produce some of the best stuff out there, I, I got to watch. I've not watched the winning time. It's so good. I've heard, I've watched Dr. John Polka. C. Riley. Oh yeah. 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 I don't know. I know who's in it. I've seen, yeah. they did a great job. The, the ads and everything. Adrian Brody too. But I will uh, definitely go back and also watch role models. Cause I yeah. love <laughs> so much. Max, that wraps the show on our fan theories. Thank you to Jason for hopping on and we hope to have you on again. Great work. And as always a quick reminder, like subscribe, follow, leave a review. All that good stuff. Patreon.com slash buzz in the tower. And, uh, this was a good episode. I, I, again, Max, I give all credit to you. I was very scared skeptical. about this one. I get nervous. This was your idea. I know, but then you took it and bastardized it. <laughs> the thing you guys think about is I wasn't really sure if this was going to be good or not. God, what a weird day. What a weird, weird day. Uh, Max, do you know what's coming up in a month? My birthday. No, uh, nobody cares about your birthday. It's in you know, December, actually. In May. You know what's coming up in May? Maverick. May is the month of Top Gun. Yeah. We got it is literally every episode will be revolving around either Maverick <laughs> or Top Gun. So we got we got to squeeze in two or three more episodes in April and then yep. it is Top Gunapalooza. <laughs> I'm so excited. Why don't we just call it Top Gunapalooza? Let's do it. No. Why are okay. you so quick to agree with bad ideas? I don't know. Let's do that. <laughs> Max, how do you want to end this uh, this wonderful episode that we just concluded? All right, bear with me. I'm with you. What if John McClane was dead the whole time? <laughs> Six. That's, that's great. Just oh, a fever dream. That's he's really, like, really good. He's like hungover in his cop car. <laughs> he died there of alcohol poisoning. Jesus Christ. His brain that's good. That's good. All right, here's mine. Here's mine. What if Allie left LaRusso? For you? For me. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> That's gonna be your, it's going to be your last memory. It will be. All right. Maybe, what if this is all a dream? <laughs> I don't want to. What if what is a dream within a dream? Don't Elon Musk. I'm going to incept you. Okay. Max, stop being stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Good night. Good night. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.